and we are continuing our series through basic Christianity, uh, grounded in a ridiculous amount of truth packed into a few amount of words. So it's Psalm 110, and today as we follow the, the psalm, we're going to talk about what is the church. You know, as, as we uh, say the Apostles' Creed, I, one of the things you say w- with that is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints, and what does all that mean? And Psalm 110 is going to help us. I mean, what are, is there anything more radical to say these days that I believe in the church and I'm pro-church, I'm going to join the church? Right, that's a, that's a big statement. So let's read it, and we will pray, and we'll jump in. Psalm 110, hear the word of our God. A Psalm of David, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook, by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and revealed to us in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I ask that you give us eyes to see the wondrous things packed into uh, your word, Um, but most of all to see the person of Jesus, that you would deepen our love for him, that we would leave here ready and willing to live and follow our Messiah, our Savior, our King, who calls us friend. And so we thank you for the work of grace that you are doing right now, and pray you would be faithful as you promised in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see if this cooperates. Well, I hope as we've, we, this is sermon number four on Psalm 110, uh, I hope it's starting to give you a fresh understanding of how to read, not only read the scriptures, but understand the gospel. Uh, that Psalm 110, again, is simply the gospel, the good news about Jesus, promised long before any of us were born. Uh, that God would make him king, that he would be the one that God would use to right everything that is wrong with this world. And so today we're going to turn to this statement from the Apostles' Creed and look at verse 3 of Psalm 110. What does it mean to say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church? Right? Um, right, Catholic is an, is an old word, it just means universal. We're not c- confessing to be Roman Catholics here, that's a different, uh, something completely different. It's just saying, I believe that the church universal, as we sang, every tribe, tongue, and nation is holy. That Hope Church is Jesus' church, and we are holy. And so it's, it's pretty simple to stand here and say, I believe that Jesus right now is growing and building his church made up from people from across the globe and throughout space and time and history. That, that Jesus has gripped the hearts of men and women everywhere, ever since he walked on the earth. I believe in the church. All right? And so as we look at Psalm 110, what you're going to see even more 
that Jesus is faithful to his promise to build the church. You see, the church is holy, the church is necessary, and things like good and beautiful as well. I mean, we don't talk about the church in these terms very often, right? That the gift from God to Jesus is the church, and the gift from God to you is the church. And I'm, I'm hoping I can convince you of that this morning, because as the, the ancient fathers said, I'm going to switch mics because that's really annoying. <laughs> Let's try that again. There we go. Now I'm not like, popping every two seconds. Right? The, the, the church fathers of old, that's what they would say, is you cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. Right? That the church is that important. It's not that you can't be a Christian without the church, but the church is given there to nourish you, to feed you, to take care of you, to mold you and shape you into the image of our Savior together. Right? And so just to put that statement in perspective and how... I mean, how I hear about the church and how I listen to people talk about the church. I mean, a lot of people see the church like Gandhi did, where he said, I liked your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Uh, Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Which is his way of saying, I I like Jesus, but I don't trust the church, because the church is nothing like Jesus. And I mean, sometimes those are for good reasons. I mean, to say I don't trust the church, people have been wounded. If that is you, have been wounded by the church, I mean, please come and talk about it. Don't carry those, those wounds alone. But even Augustine, who was wounded by the church, the old church father, would say, you know, the church at times, she's still my mother, even though she, if she is at times a woman of loose morals. I'm, I'm softening the blow there. <laughs> right? He, he said, the church isn't perfect, but she's still my mother. And so what Psalm 110 is promising is that when Jesus shows up, in verse 3, on the day of his power, God will build his church through him. And so let's look at what is the good news of being a part of Jesus' church. So look at verse 3 again. It says, Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. And so the Just focus in on that phrase, your people. That's the church. We belong to Jesus. We are Jesus' people who have committed themselves to freely follow the Messiah, God's King. We freely offer ourselves in service to the King. That's how we started our service, our worship service, right? And just to add to the picture, this is a community of people following. The word people there could, could refer to a nation. It could refer to a family. It could refer to a group. Or it could refer to an army, or it could just refer to a gathering of people. But either way, it's a massive group of people together rallying to follow the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus. And so what is the church? We're Jesus' people. It's pretty simple. All right, and Psalm 110 goes on to say that on the day of this Messiah's power, that on the, that's when everyone will rise up and follow Jesus because he's going to grab them and grab their attention and never let go. All right? So on the day this person is installed as king and lord of the cosmos, a massive group of people will rise up and say, I want to follow him. He is my king, my God. They're going to hear his voice and follow him. That's the promise in Psalm 110.3. Right? And so... I mean, if you look around this room, that's, that's what we are, evidence that Psalm 110 has come true. I mean, thousands of years later, almost 3,000 years. Because talk to people here, none of us have physically seen Jesus with our eyes, 
But yet as we read the scriptures and have been convinced that they are true, everybody has said, I can't believe this is who God is and this is what Jesus would do for me. That my king, my God, was crucified for me. That's someone I want to follow. All right? We profess faith and join the church freely. There's no coercion here. We're not going to uh, not let you leave until you sign something, right? There's no manipulation, right? If, if someone asks what the church is, we're just a group of uncoerced followers moved by the person of Jesus. And so it's just, just helpful to say that out loud. As, do you know of any other organizations like that? Because right? the church is not uh, an army that you are drafted into. Right? I have a friend in high school who is South Korean, and every South Korean is mandated to serve at least two years in the army, at least when, when we, were, we were friends. So he graduated high school, and he had to go back to Korea, and I didn't see him for two years. He didn't have a choice, even though he was living in the United States. Right? That's not how the church works. We're not running around handing people uh, slips and saying, you're in. You have to, or you're going to go to jail. Right? Or even those, like our kids who are here listening, the, uh, our covenant children. Right? Even those born into the church, at some point we're waiting for you to join, uh, to freely follow, to make the faith of your parents your own faith. You're not part of Jesus' people unless you profess faith in Jesus yourself. All right? And nor is church an ethnic birthright. I mean, some of you uh, know what, what I'm talking about. If, if you're in a certain religious communities, if you are born Irish uh, or Italian or whatever the ethnicity might be, right, you are whatever faith they tell you to be. Jesus' people is a group of people who are freely following, not because anyone else tells them to. Right? Jesus said, follow me. They heard his voice and they rise up and go. We choose to do it. That's why we say in the Heidelberg question one, I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We're confessing to be the church there. There's more here. So I just want to help shape your own sense of uh, what does it mean for you to be a part of the church as a Christian, or if you're interested in joining the church. Right? The, in the English, it says, uh, your people will offer themselves freely. And the Hebrew uses just a noun. Uh, that the church is a free, a free will offering. We are a community of people who see themselves as a free will offering. Meaning, it's a gift. It's voluntary. It's not compulsory. Nobody's holding your hand to a fire. Nobody's putting a sword to your neck. Right? We've offered our whole being, our whole body, mind, and soul to follow our Savior. In the context for, for a free will offering... The first time it's used is in, 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 I think it's Exodus 35, when Moses is taking up a collection to build the tabernacle from among God's people. And verse 29 of Exodus 35 says it this way, that all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded, they brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. All right. So take that idea. Psalm 110, verse 3, is saying the church is a group of people who are a free will offering whose hearts have been moved to offer your money, your talent, your time, your whole body, your whole mind, everything about you in service of Jesus. To make sacrifices for him, to change your life because Jesus is king. 
uh, to live your life in light of the truth of the gospel. That's, that's what, who these people are. Right. So welcome to Jesus' church. <laughs> Whether you knew it or not, you com- came when you profess faith in Jesus as a free will offering. And it's, it's a massive commitment. Psalm 110 isn't going to let you have a half-hearted understanding or half a bored interest in the church. It's saying it's part of your identity. You are Jesus' people. Therefore, follow him. Make, make the life of the church your life because that's what Jesus' will is for your life. Let me add to the picture. There's layers here. It's amazing how much is packed in one verse. David uses a word here for the, for the free will offering, people offering themselves freely. It can also apply to an army, talking about people. And the other p- main place in the Old Testament where you have a picture of men freely following, uncoerced, is from Judges chapter 5. Right, the story of, of Deborah and Barak. And I don't know if you remember the story. We, we talked about it in the last year. But the recruiting pitch to join God's people in their day, you should be grateful that we've moved beyond that point, was there, we're under the oppression of the Canaanites. Everything is evil. That guy stinks. I hate him. We need to free ourselves. And so Barak is raising an army. All you have to do is join him, stand at the top of the mountain. You have no weapons, and your enemy has chariots. So just volunteer to run down the mountain, scream like a banshee, and, ho- and plan to get cut down like butter unless the Lord intervenes and saves you. That's God's people who freely offer themselves. And, and Deborah, after the victory happens, right, because 10,000 people just showed up and said, yeah, I'll do that by faith. Deborah sings in Judges 5, celebrating that the leaders took the lead in Israel and the people offered themselves willingly. Praise the Lord. So tie all that together. What is the church? The church is... Jesus' army, who have freely shown up to fight without weapons, to, to participate in his mission in a way that's better than anything Barack had to face. Right? Which is another way of saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, even if it requires, as we sang, uh, my own life, my own death, my own pain, my own hurt. And so this is really strong language. When you think of the church, and you go ask your neighbors, uh, you know, Come, come join our church. I mean, to them, they hear something along the lines of, come, come join Rotary. Come use your, your, your volunteer time. Psalm 110 says, you belong to Jesus and you give everything. Do you see yourself here? <laughs> if you're like me, you're saying yes and no. I kind of give some and hold some back. But the church, we are Jesus' people in an army. His volunteer army, and I'll, I'll talk more about what that means if it freaks you out. But we are a volunteer army who, who say, yes, I am willing to take orders from Jesus, the king, the commander of the Lord's army. That is who you are by faith. And think about how crazy this is to say out loud. <laughs> um, to say, Jesus, you are the Lord and commander of my bank account. You can tell me how to spend my money. In fact, you do tell me how to spend my money. Sacrificially. Uh, Jesus, you are the Lord of my body over what I eat and drink, um, over what I do with my body, over my sex life, over everything, everything you do with your body. Or to say, you're Lord of my time. (laughs) That is the one thing we hold on to tightly as Westerners, right? Time is money. Jesus is the Lord of time. 
telling you how to spend it. What to do on weekends, what to do on Sunday mornings, all of it. Jesus is the Lord of my relationships, who I marry, who I'm friends with, who I spend my time with. I mean, Jesus tells you to be a witness. So that's part of that is him commanding you to be a disciple and spend time in the church and spend time with your neighbors. Jesus is even uh, the commander of, of telling you he's, he's the Lord of how you should see yourself. I could put it that way. Because Colossians 3 says, your life is hidden in him. Think about him on the throne, not about you. Think about him. Therefore, see, Jesus is telling you, let how I see you control how you see you. I mean, this is an invasive claim <laughs> to be Jesus's people. But we all, to be a part of the church, say that Jesus is worthy, as we sang. He is worth it. It's a king I would freely follow. Command me. We are a people of the risen king, asking to be commanded by choice. So, do you see yourself in that picture <coughs> as a Christian? And what is it challenging you to do? Right? Uh, you know, I was recently given a book, Are You a Follower or a Fan of Jesus? Right, fans just click like. Uh, followers participate. That, that's the distinction. Right, what gets you to participate? Well, one of my favorite scenes, I've held off on using a Lord of the Rings illustration for like a year and a half, so um, one's due. But it's, it's from the, the movie The Hobbit. And the story, if you're not familiar, is about Bilbo Baggins, this homebody who loves just the simple things in life, who hates adventures, who gets dragged out of his home and launched out to follow a company of dwarves to take back their home from a dragon. And while they're camping at night, there are these freaky sounds. If you've ever been outside, you know what your imagination does, right? It's a bird, but in your mind, it's probably a coyote about to pounce. Well, in, in, the, in, this, in the movie, there's a couple young dwarves teasing scared Bilbo, saying, don't worry, it's probably the bad guys, the orcs, they're just gonna carry you off while you sleep. Remember? What friends do? <laughs> And that's when Thorin, the king, stands up and just snaps at him and says, enemies are nothing to joke about. And then another dwarf says, here's why he's so sensitive. Here's how Thorin came by his name, Thorin Oakenshield. And he was in a battle, and he steps up in the middle of a battle against a terrifying foe, a guy named Azog the Defiler. And as Azog was mowing down the good guys, Thorin steps up when all leadership is slain. And he's getting the snot kicked out of him till he loses his sword. It looks like all hope is lost. And then he grabs an oak branch, uses it as a shield, defeats his foe, and then rallies the troops to victory. Because everyone sees the enemy defeated. They rise up and follow. And as this is a flashback in the movie, and uh, it's, it's, one of the, the guys telling the story says, it's on that day after the victory that I looked at Thor and my king, and I thought to myself, this is a king I would follow. And you flash back to present, and everybody is standing up, looking in awe at the king who fought for them. So that's the message of the gospel in a nutshell. Right? What builds the church? What gets you to freely submit to sacrifice for this king? It's to see Jesus on the day of his power like Thorin. Even greater, because <laughs> on the day of his power, according to Paul, is the day that Jesus rose from the dead according to the spirit of his holiness and was made Christ, Messiah, our Lord. That what, 
what gets you to follow, what gets you to commit, what gets you to love the church, to, to want to join with a whole bunch of people you don't know but who also love Jesus, is to see Jesus crucified for you, because Paul assumes that in Romans 1-2, but really to see Jesus risen from the dead, having conquered that foe that you could never beat on your own, death itself, and he rules. And when you see someone with that power, that magnitude, that cosmic significance, say, I died for you, that gets me to get off my feet and say, you are worthy. Or to fall on your knees in allegiance and say, command me, my king. You are worthy. Right, And so that's the challenging part when it comes to the church. What the church is, is this organism of people, an army, a, a nation, a group of people who all who would otherwise be strangers who are just moved by the person of Jesus because he is risen and he is king and God has gotten your attention. And so for me personally, this is the hardest part about being a pastor is I can't cheat. <laughs> right? My job is to say Jesus is king every week. And I can't manipulate. The only way to get you to participate in the life of the church, to, to participate in Jesus' mission, is to not make it about me, but to make it about someone else. And to not abuse power, to, to not lock the doors and say we're going to pass the, the, uh, the plate once again because we haven't made enough money this week, which has been done in churches. Um, there's no bribing of saying, if you come to Jesus, your life is going to be wonderful. No, if you come to Jesus, you're going to suffer like everyone else. But Jesus is still king. Right? I'm, I'm called just to use the truth. Speak the truth in love. I can't be emotionally manipulative. Right? The only tool in my toolbox is God's gospel. Jesus is God's king. Because that's what builds the church, according to Psalm 110. Who freely follow and trust that you, well, trust really the Holy Spirit, but trust that you will be freely moved to walk together on mission with this Jesus and do what he commands. And if you don't do what he commands, then we come and say, How are you, why are you not living in light of the truth of the gospel according to what Jesus is doing? Right? That's Galatians chapter 2. Peter was being a racist. He decided not to uh, eat with the Gentiles, the non-Jews, because of his past and that's what Paul, that's how Paul corrected him. He said, Jesus is the king. Peter, you are not living in line of the truth of the gospel that Jesus is Lord. So don't be a hypocrite. You're leading all these other people astray. Right? So to be a part of the church, if you're being called to be challenged by the person and work of Jesus, to, to follow him because you love him. And if you do not want to follow him, and you see all these crazy people here in this room <laughs> saying he's worthy. It's trying to get you to say to look at Jesus. To, to, to jump in with both feet and say, who is this guy that would convince not just one particular people group, but uh, folks in Africa, folks in Asia, folks in, in the poorest parts of the world, but also in places like Yale and Harvard and, and Cornell. It doesn't matter who you are, rich or poor. Jesus has grabbed the attention of hearts worldwide throughout history. So join the mission, join the church. Now, 
you're a part of the church, you're called to submit to Jesus' commands and think about him that way. Think of him as your commander. But here's, here's a gentler image from verse 3. It's, it's that really weird phrase that from the, from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth shall be yours. It's more of like a parable or a poetic image. And if you check different Bible translations, it's going to say different things. As, as one, one person said, it seems like David is saying that as the morning mysteriously brings forth the dew, so Jesus the king will be refreshed and renewed. God will give him energy to do what he needs to do. I think there's a better explanation um, that I came across from. It was from Martin Luther, because all of verse 3 is about the church. And so follow the, this is the way you do poetry and try and wrestle with the meaning here. What is the womb of the morning? It's the dawn. And we also know that dew falls at the dawn. And in the scriptures, over and over again, the dew is God's work, a sign of God's blessing. Right? And dew, the morning, gentle morning rain, uh, refreshes the earth, it brings forth growth, it's a gift from above. And so part of what this is saying is that God causes growth. It's a gift to the Messiah. And then what's again the do going to uh, do for the Messiah? Something to do with young people. <laughs> the youth. And what, make, what made this clear for me and why I'm convinced this is, I'll explain what it is, is Micah 5.7. And Micah 5.7 uses the same metaphor where it says, the remnant of Jacob... This group of people will be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which don't wait for any man. And so the image is faithful followers of Jesus, right? It's something we choose to do, but the image is it's also a gift from heaven to Jesus himself, right? It's like rain from heaven. You can't plan it. You can't plan revival. You can't plan the church to grow. It's, it's something that as you preach Jesus, God said, I will, I will make it rain and the church will grow. And that's what happens every day. Right? The dawn happens and all across the globe, different people are making professions of faith because they're moved by Jesus. When you put all this together, God promises to Jesus in Psalm 110, your church will grow. It will be like the morning dew. It will be my gift to you. Your children will be yours like dew from heaven. I like that translation. All right, and so this is really encouraging. If you're, a, you're trying to figure out Jesus, one of the reason, ways you know you're, uh, you're being worked on, so to speak, uh, to help you in the process is, the, is what God has promised to do is to make Jesus irresistible to all those who will be a part of his church. Like dew from heaven. He loves his son so much, he's going to grow his church. You and I are God's sovereign gift to Jesus. <laughs> so everything we just said about obeying the Lord's command, right, it's also a miracle of grace if you ever said yes to Jesus. <laughs> like dew in the morning. What, what have you ever had to do with the dew showing up in the morning? Nothing. We just received the benefits. So Hope Church looks small and ordinary, but the fact that you are here is a sign that the dew from heaven has fallen down, raised you up from the dead, and gripped your heart with the beauty of who Jesus is. And at the same time, if the church is an army, it, it we're also called to be dew. 
Do you see that? This is a whole bunch of metaphors. This is what the psalmist does. We're an army who are God's blessing for the earth. We are the church, that we have been blessed by God to follow Jesus in order. What does do do? It, 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 it refreshes the earth. It's, it's to be a blessing to the world, which leads to the mission of the church, right? So if, if we are a free will offering, we are an army, we are, we are gentle like the dew, and God, God just makes the growth happen. It's a mystery to some extent. He sends you as do on a mission. Where does the do fall? I'm swapping points two and three on the outline in the bulletin because it just made more sense. Here's the mission of Jesus' church. Look at verse two. This will make clear the purpose of the do. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. And so part of the picture is Jesus, when he comes to power, and he did, it's going to be in a place in Jerusalem, and he's going to extend his rule amidst his enemies uh, from Judea, from Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's going to grow. And the way the church is built and grows, because this is a spiritual kingdom, is when we are among Jesus' enemies. Right? So let me be clear. The church is not a political entity. Jesus said, my, my, my kingdom is not of this world, and if it was of this world, my, my servants would be fighting with swords. This is a spiritual kingdom on earth. Right. The army of the Lord comes down to the unbelieving world, to people who don't know Jesus, gentle like dew, but powerful enough to bring change to even the worst neighborhoods. Because the church grows, it, it's promised blessing here. Jesus extends his rule on the earth through the church among Jesus' enemies. I mean, this is astounding. Because there are a couple ways to do church. One is to say, Jesus is just for me, and I'm going to live my private spiritual life however I see fit. I'm going to grow in my own knowledge of the Bible. We're going to hunker down. We're going to be a place of light surrounded by darkness and just lob verbal grenades at people who don't agree with us. Right? That's hoarding the dew, so to speak. But Psalm 110 envisions Jesus on his throne, extending his kingdom among his enemies, meaning the church lived, and lived, that's you and I, right, people, lived around our neighbors who don't know anything about Jesus. Right? He sends the church to be missional, to use that familiar language. This is unfamiliar terms for something we know, the Great Commission. Right. You go back to Micah 5 again, because it says not only will the church be like dew from heaven, they're also going to be sent among the peoples, among the nations, among God's enemies, and they're going to be out there like a lion among the sheep. Right? Is a lion scared of the sheep? Not a normal lion. No, it's, you're sent out into the world to live among your neighbors, neighbors with the strength and confidence of a lion among sheep because Jesus is king. And because Jesus is king, you are immortal until he is done with you. See, the church that follows Jesus, you're supposed to be gentle like dew, but bold with the gospel like a lion among your, among your neighbors who don't know anything about Jesus, God's enemies. You see that? So when Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations, Go into the world to love sinners. Um, 
Psalm 110 and Micah 5 predicted the exact same thing. That's what the, Jesus got these ideas from the scriptures. Right. So if you apply this to us, well, how do we as a church in the 21st century live out the mission of the church? Uh, it means you should be okay. So you should have some kind of relationship somewhere in your life with non-Christians. Just keep it simple that way. Of course you do at work. But think about the, the witness. If all you'd ever do is complain about the, the immorality of those who do not yet know Jesus. Right? Your uh, reflection this morning, with, I let Martin Luther be blunt for me. He was just a, a raging uh, German monk. But preaching on Psalm 110, he, he, my sermon's short compared to his. He, he, it was like 120 pages long. He said, "My king, the kingdom of Christ is to be in the midst of your enemies, and those who do not suffer this do not want to be a part of the kingdom. You want to be among friends and among roses and the lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. He said, if Christ had done what you were doing, whoever would have been spared? And all he's saying is what Jesus said in Matthew 9. Go and learn what it means. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's put all this together. What is the church's mission? We're a community of followers who love Jesus, who love each other, who promise to bleed for each other, to weep together, to bear one another's burdens, to do everything that the church is called to do, but we do that in the presence of our enemies, even among our neighbors, right? people who haven't yet come to faith. Right? They have opportunities to see you love them the way Jesus first loved you. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Jesus does that through you when you go out and you're kind to your neighbor and tell them why. <laughs> so go and preach the gospel. Sure. I mean, can you think of any other organization that says, here's where we will thrive? <laughs> right? You're going to go out and you're going to go among people who want nothing to do with you, and that is your mission plan. Go grow the church among people who think what you do is harmful. Maybe stupid, maybe childish, or all of the above. And yet Jesus would say, if they hated me, they will hate you. Go like a lion. I will be with you. <laughs> and the promise is that dew will fall from heaven, and somebody, somebody's going to respond in faith. So you got the church. We belong to Jesus. We're commanded. We're part of his army. We have the mission. Uh, following Jesus is not a private thing. It's something we do together in the presence of our enemies. God's enemies, not, right? And then the last, here's the fuel for the mission and how we're going to bring this to a close. Right? The church is made beautiful. What are you armed with if you're going to go out on this mission? We are Jesus' army of followers, the church militant, and what we're armed with is nothing but the good news of who Jesus is and the identity he gives you promised here in verse 3. Because it says, your people will offer themselves freely, and when they offer themselves, they're going to be decked in holy garments. You're going to be adorned in holy garments that the church is made holy. And if you know anything about the history of the church, you should laugh. <laughs> it's kind of, what a joke that the church would be considered to be holy and perfect as Jesus is holy and perfect. 
So we're an army of priests. What do priests do? They are the mediators between man and God. And wearing holy garments <coughs> is the way to say we're wearing priestly clothes. Uh, and this is, this is something that God gives us by faith. And it's something that uh, is made to make you and I beautiful. We are a kingdom of priests, as the New Testament will say. Um, right? to, be, to be armed and adorned with the beauty of holiness, that's what's going to get people's attention. Holy garments as priestly people. I know in the ancient world, we just we had a pastor's fellowship, and uh, Pastor Mark from down at First, First Pres Schenectady just came back from Ireland and, and was on a, in a monastery off the coast and, and learned of stories when, when the monks in the monastery actually had to de- literally defend themselves against the Vikings coming, right? So they just don't train pastors the way they used to. The monks would, you know, gird up their skirts and grab their swords, and they, they were all slaughtered and to protect the weak and innocent, But the church, really, according to Psalm 110, what we're armed with is the good news of the gospel and the the clothes that Jesus gives us, that we are treated as Jesus is treated. The the beauty of holiness. Um, Which is another way to say the church will be treated as holy as Jesus is holy. Everything Jesus has, you will have. As we sang, yet not I, but Christ in me because of who we belong to, and he clothes us in his righteousness. Right. So yeah, there's one hand, there's gonna, you're going to grab someone's attention because you, you're polite and respectful, even though you don't agree any, anything <laughs> on, the, any world, on any worldview level. And they say, that's different. But really what makes you holy is simply because you belong to Jesus. And to the clothes he gives you to make you worthy to come into God's presence and to represent him uh, is his righteousness, his record of being the perfect man, God's king, come in love to die for you. Or as Brian Chapel would say, you don't have to strive and scratch to make God love you. He loves you. Right? Whether our sin is monstrous or ordinary, whether you believe your lives are futile or too full, whether you live in a house or a jail cell, God's grace makes you as righteous, as perfect as Jesus is before the face of God because you are decked in holy garments. Jesus is clothes. You are treated like a king and a priest because Jesus is a king and priest, and you get to wear his clothes. That's, that's the church. The church is Jesus' army who are sent to go, be like dew from heaven, and we are armed with these tools, the the, the gifts of the Spirit, faith, hope, and love. (laughs) Go love your neighbors. Preach the gospel. We are holy. So I'm hoping this gives you a, a, a much different picture of how to look at the church, that you belong to Jesus, you are sent, and you are equipped for that that mission as those who represent Jesus in the world with holy garments. And if you're not sure what that means, come ask me questions. I've talked to any, anyone, pastor or elders here. We would love to do that. But we are armed with the beauty of belonging to Jesus, something we don't deserve. And so, yeah, you come to the church. I made it sound wonderful. The reality is it's war because we're in an army and it's messy. But what what, what the gospel promises is if we focus on, Jesus, focus on Jesus, the church will love sinners as we have been loved by Christ. And that's what it means to say, I believe 
in the Holy Catholic Church, that what Jesus has done for me, he's done for everyone in this room who's professed faith, and he's done that on, uh, across the oceans to the ends of the earth. And he will continue to do so until he returns. So let me leave you with a challenge. As you wrestle with seeing yourself as the church, um, in an army, is there anything, uh, is there any such thing as a passive participant? <laughs> right? You are sent with orders. And part of the orders of Jesus as we think about the next stage of our life as a church is just being willing to be discipled, to participate in the process so that you can be equipped to be the church among your neighbors and disciple someone else. So where are you in that process in your participation level? Right? Because we all have to wrestle with it, but the command comes not from your pastor. It comes from Jesus. He's saying, participate in what I made the church to do. And it's not an individual endeavor. I know there are those of us here who are more passive, who are, um, what's the word, introverted. Right? Believe it or not, when I first took a personality test in high school, I was an introvert. I've shifted as the gospel has changed. I'm still an introvert and I like to hide. But yet I've loved, grown to love people because that's just the way the gospel has borne fruit in my life. Because I didn't follow Jesus by myself, I had someone older than me come alongside and say, hey, let me show you about this Jesus thing. And, uh, and that's, that's the mentality that we, um, my prayer is, that we would, it would become part of the DNA of hope, that when someone new comes, they get grabbed into community um, to see who Jesus is. And then lastly, right, really we spend most of our time outside of worship among those who don't know Jesus. So just ask yourself, as you do your job, you do your job well, as you're working for Jesus, not for your, your boss, who may or may not drive you nuts, right? how can you be due from heaven for your coworkers? Faith, hope, and love. Right? Here's how Peter would put it, and we'll pray. First Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Therefore, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, those who do not know Jesus, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and give praise and honor to God when Jesus returns. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for Jesus, for your gift of making him irresistible, and pray you would continue through us to draw others to him by faith. And so lift him up. Help us see his beauty and then see the gifts that he has given us, especially what it means to be called holy, to be called a saint, simply because we belong to him. Pray for wisdom for our church. May we be like dew from heaven as we look for ways to take the gospel into our community. So give us wisdom to see how and where you are building your church here in our neck of the woods, that we might love others as you first loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.